You know, today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and it's interesting how we get together and we come together as a family. But I want to remind us today that the celebration of the resurrection isn't just today. See, the celebration of the resurrection should be celebrated tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow of that day. And since that matter of fact, for 365 days a year. Because see, the resurrection of Jesus is something to be celebrated in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's impactful. And then, to know Jesus, that he lives in us, his transforming power that transforms our hearts. The very message of the gospel that transformed you and I to believe. That took us from that moment of not caring, not hoping, of fear, of condemnation, of guilt, to the moment of liberation. The ability to breathe for the very first time. The ability to be able to know that he is our king and to worship him and to call upon his name. And to know that we're brought in as, as family, that we're, we're adopted as his children, that he loves us with, the, with an eternal love, and that he is faithful, faithful, faithful. So today I ask these questions, and I want us to ask these questions. What does a life look like that has been changed by the resurrected Jesus. Someone who's been so impacted by the gospel, what does their life look like? What transforming power does the gospel have in our lives? How does it change us daily? I mean, daily. It's the power of God that transformed us. How does it transform us daily? We ask the hard question, what if there is no resurrection? What if Jesus ever rose from the dead? That's a hard question. And what does the resurrection mean? Well, why should it matter to you and God? So we have to ask ourselves these questions and really ask them. Because see, the resurrection isn't just for believers. It's for unbelievers. It, it actually impacts everybody. It actually impacts the entire world. The resurrection of Jesus impacts the entire world. Because the resurrection is the most important, most historically acclaimed account of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus being raised from the dead, the historical evidence that supports Jesus' resurrection. It is the greatest event ever to take place in human history. The greatest. I dare you to name another. There is no The resurrection. People seeing the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians today, and we're going to see how Cephas, the 12, over 500 eyewitnesses, 
some who fell asleep, which means they passed away to be with the Lord. Other disciples on himself, eyewitness accounts of Jesus being alive. People physically seeing Jesus eat. And I don't want to get into the historical documentation of all this, because that's not my aim today. My aim today is to simply point out what does a life look like that's being transformed by the gospel, being transformed <laughs> by Jesus, the good news to redeem and restore broken people with no hope. Because see, if we don't look at what God has done and his faithfulness, we soon forget of what God can do. You know, uh, this past week, I don't know if you know about a movie that just came out. It's called The Case of Christ. And it's actually a really interesting movie. And if you're more interested in more historical facts, I think the movie really does add a lot of, uh, it's, you know, Hollywoodish, you know, a little dramatic here and there. But the historical evidence that he puts in the movie, I love it. And Lee Strobel, if you never heard his testimony, this man was an atheist. He was an atheist. He had nothing to do with, he wanted nothing to do with God. He hated the fact that God had changed his life. And as a reporter, he tried to figure out why the resurrection was a lie. So he goes on this long quest of trying to figure out, is the resurrection true? And he comes to find when he wasn't even trying to change when he had an encounter with Jesus. He was transformed when he comes to the end and he realizes that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. That's the power. And so today I want to see another life that's been transformed by the resurrected Jesus. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 1 to 34. First Corinthians chapter 1, and chapter 15, verses 1 to 9. So we ask the first question, what does a life look like that's been resurrected by Jesus? And I want us to look at this. This is what verse 1 says. And I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I, I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, he's reminding them of the gospel, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter. Then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Eyewitnesses that are still alive when Paul wrote this. He's saying, don't believe me, go ask. Don't tell you what I saw. Then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' brother, then to all the apostles, Last of all, to one untimely born. He appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. 
because I persecuted the church of God. What is Paul talking about that he persecuted the church of God? Who is this man that he's talking about? I mean, he's saying that he persecuted the church of God, but he's also preaching the gospel. So I want us to turn with me, with me, to Acts chapter 9. And I want to look at the life of Paul before God changed him. You want to talk about radical transformation? You want to talk about what God can do? We're going to look at it right now. This is the power of God changing people from death to life. This is going to be before his conversion, before God changes him. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. Look at what it says. And this is just, it's heavy. But Saul, that's Paul. Saul has another name. He's also goes by the name of Paul. You know? So Saul, still breathing threats, huffing and puffing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So you already know what kind of person will be in. He wants to kill Christians. He has murderous intent to kill Christians. Went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way was the original name for the Christian followers, was the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What he's saying here is that he has every intent to kill any Christian. This is what it looks like before someone is transformed by the gospel. This is what it looks like before someone has an encounter. They're living their own life, doing their own thing, with their own agenda. And then what happens? Go to verse 3. Watch this. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, just like that, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. He has an encounter with God. He wasn't searching for God. It's not like God threw him a lifeline and he pulled himself to God. He was doing his own thing, breathing out threats and murder against Christian followers. He hated Christians with a murderous intent. What happens? Suddenly. Now, I'll tell you like this now. I can, I can identify with that. When the Lord suddenly appeared to me, not physically, but in the form of realizing how sinful I was, I was about to die. 
was on I-10 before they expanded I-10. Used to be three lanes wide. For those who are old enough, don't remember that, you know. And what happened was, me and my brother been drinking that night. We got hammered drunk. He was a bar back at the club. It was called a hurricane hut. I still remember it to this day, you know. And we're getting blasted drunk. I'm about 16, 15 at the time. We're driving down I-10. Guy cuts him off. He decides to cut him off too. But it was raining. He was going 70 miles per hour. And when you swing a big car like that, it was, it was a Pontiac Granddad. You swing something like that in the rain, man. Three 360s on the freeway. We're spinning out of control. Most people say when you're about to die, that you have this moment of thinking about your family, of your loved ones. That wasn't mine. Mine was a realization that I sinned against God. That I offended God and I was going to go to hell. I can't explain that. I've only met one other person that has had that fear of dying. The realization of death being so real that you can't taste it. And this is someone, it's me, that struck me in suicide three different times when I was younger. Never did I taste it like the way I tasted it. It's like touching fire for the first time. You remember. You know what happened? I looked to my left. My brother's about my color skin color. He was as white as a white shirt. And I could see the 18 wheeler coming. And all I'm thinking to myself is I'm going to die. I'm going to face God. I'm going to go to hell. That was my encounter with my realization of my sin. And you know what happened that day? By the grace of God, I can't even explain it. If I tried to explain it, it doesn't even sound what I say. The car was sawed off. It wasn't moving. And it did two more 360s, and we landed on the emergency line of the freeway. And this is on a Friday night, without even one car, unscathed. Now, I didn't immediately change. But what happened was, God revealed something to me. My sin. How sinful I was. And the fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord, began to come into my heart. And realized that, man, I'm in need of the Savior. And so when I think about Paul and read this conversion of Saul to Paul, I think of the same exact thing. He wasn't doing something to search for Jesus. He was trying to kill Christians. And there this happens. Suddenly. Now watch this conversion. Verse 17. So Aeneas departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Now watch this. Look what happens. Go down a little bit more. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. So they're chilling with his recently converted Saul. You know, I would have a hard time trusting this guy if I was a disciple. Like, man, maybe he's trying to trick us, you know? 
And actually, they do say that in another account. And immediately, look at, look at what happens to a life transformed by the gospel, a life transformed by Jesus. Look what happens, verse 20. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in a synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard it were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name, the name of Jesus? So he's talking about the name of Jesus. And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them down before the chief priests? Watch this. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Amen. Mm. Now watch this, family. The question we ask is, what does a resurrected life look like that's been changed by Jesus? What, is, what does it look like someone that's been changed? And what we see is someone who's changed is never left the same. Someone who's changed proclaims the name of Jesus. And look, we can look at this account, or we can go to John 4 and look at the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay? She was, she was stuck in adultery, and God pulled her out, right? Jesus told her all that she did. And what did she do? She went to go tell everybody else about Jesus. A person who's been transformed by the resurrected Jesus is someone who proclaims the word of the Lord, who proclaims Jesus. How else can you explain someone as extreme in today's standard, he would be seen as an extremist. We're talking about Paul. He would be seen as a terrorist. It's been estimated that he killed over 151 Christians. Now think about that. How can God use someone so messed up, so stain-filled, so murderous, and get this, we need to remember that Paul himself was a devout Jew. So he followed the law. He obeyed the law. He kept everything that the law required. As a matter of fact, his tribe, they were known for remembering the entire Torah. Verbatim. Which means by every single word. It's amazing. You know what he realized? And what he's been doing the whole time were just religious acts. There was nothing more. But when he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, he was never left the same. So what's the transforming power of the gospel? What does it do to you and I? It humbles us. Look at verse 10 of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Actually, look at verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He feels unworthy. The gospel humbles our hearts. And he shares about his past, what he used to do. The gospel liberates our hearts to share the things that we used to do, to use it as a testimony of God's faithfulness. 
If I come up here and I start to share about the past that me and my wife had, and where I've been, and what I used to do, it glorifies God. And the gospel liberates my heart to be open about my past. Jesus bore my shame, and he bore your shame. And the gospel should liberate your heart to open up about the hurts, about what you went through, that no one knows what you went through. But to be able to open up and share that with other women, other brothers. The gospel liberates family. And it leads us to repentance. Yeah. And we know, you know what, man, we can't do it. Yeah. We need Jesus. And even though I've messed up a thousand and one times, I can faithfully confess my sin to the Lord and know that He is just and faithful to forgive me of all unrighteousness. Leads us to proclaim Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the people that we work with when know that we follow Jesus. That we worship Jesus. That Jesus is our Lord. A life transformed by the power of the gospel that raises people from the dead should never stop us from being prophets. But to have a boldness to proclaim his promises, his faithfulness. And listen to me, family, we're only here for a moment. We haven't got that yet. Let that sink in and realize and ask yourself, if you're 25 years old and you're Hispanic, statistics say you will die at 65. That's only 40 more birthdays. It's only more 40 more Christmases. If you're 50 and you're Latino, that means you only got 15 years. What I want us to look at is that we're like blades of grass. We're like blades of grass. One moment we're here, the next moment we're here. And I don't know about you, but I would exhort you, I would encourage you to proclaim the name of Jesus. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, if sinners be damned, I'm going I'm to mess it all up. He says, but if sinners be damned, let them go with our hands clinging to them. Basically, what he's saying is, man, we want to we we warn them to let them know what is to come. I want you to know that we have a responsibility. And I want us to ask ourselves this question. How are we making much of Jesus? How are we living a resurrected life? I want us to analyze ourselves and be real. It's not about me trying to check your heart because you know what? That's not our responsibility. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction. He's good at that. Oh, he is. Oh, he'll talk to you and as fast as you can say go and show you all sorts of messed up Yeah, he's good at that. I would ask you to examine your hearts and ask the question, how are we making much of Jesus? If he's our risen king, if he's our risen savior, do we believe it? See, belief moves us into action. It's not just a thought. It's action. We believe. 
Because, you know, the thing is, is that we ask the hard question that we see here. We're going to see it right now in verse 12 of uh, second, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He's going to ask the question, what if there is no the verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most people. Listen to me. If there is no resurrection from the dead, do you know what that means for you and I today? For everybody, I mean literally everybody. Number one, what I'm doing up here is a waste of your time and my time. I don't know about you, but time is money for me when I'm at work. And my time is very valuable. So if I'm up here doing nothing, just like speaking words, you know what I'm doing? I'm misrepresenting God. I'm wasting your time. This is a waste of time for all of us. Your faith in Jesus, if he's not resurrected, is in vain. Everything you've done for Jesus is in vain. Literally. You remain in your sins. And not just me, but everyone in this room. And you know what that means? That means that the penalty of sin is death. And all of us are condemned to hell. No hope, no future. There is nothing, literally nothing. You can get up right now and walk away because it doesn't mean anything. That is, if there is no resurrection from the dead. If Christ is not raised, we have no hope. Praise be to God. But three days later, he was raised from the dead. And we have hope. We have an undefiled, imperishable, living hope in Christ. We have hope that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We have hope because he is alive. We have hope because he lives. We have hope because he sits right now interceding for you on our behalf to the Father. We have hope because he has prayed that your faith would not fail. We have hope. And this hope that we hold on to is a hope not based, thanks be to God, is not based on our strength. 
It's not based on the level of faith that I have or that you have or that you, what you began to believe in. It was never based on your strength. John chapter 1 verse 13 says, it wasn't by blood. It wasn't by your will. It wasn't by your flesh. But by God, you've been born again. And this hope comes through the resurrected Jesus. This is the unfading love. The eternal love of our King. So we can make much of Jesus in all our lives. That emotionally we wouldn't just be impacted by it. But that faith in Christ would lead us to action, to go proclaim. Because listen to me. This moment right now is bearing witness on the day of eternity when you're before God. That the gospel was proclaimed to you. That you would turn from your sins. That you would place your trust in Christ. Because you have no hope in yourself. No religious works or acts that we could do could ever impress God. But the love of a king, the God man Jesus, that would come down and live a perfect life. He saved us while we were his enemies. He saved us when we were still stuck in our sins. That's amazing grace. That's amazing grace. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, either Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, and he was Lord. Either everything he said was a lie, because he made a lot of claims, calling himself the son of God, making himself equal to God, because that's the reason why the Jews wanted to kill him. Or a lunatic. Speaking this crazy stuff, about this future resurrection, this future hope, and about his house having many rooms. He'd be seen as a crazy person. Lord, he's Lord. And proof of that, proof of you and I, that our King is who he is, and he did what he said he was going to do. This proof three days later after he was raised from the dead. Oh, that I may know that you may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection to live in that holy spirit filled power. Not depending upon ourselves, but depending upon our King. Abiding. He says, Come and see. He says, Follow me. He says, abide in me. But depend upon is what that means. Rely upon when you're weak. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, for as in Adam all die, that means that we're under the curse of the penalty, the disobedience of Adam, 
Every single man, woman, and child that is born is born as a sinner. This is a truth that we must understand. And because of that sin only comes death. But here comes the hope, family. There's always hope. There's always hope in Jesus. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ. There's hope. You know, I do landscaping for a living, and I get to plant plants in a lot of different trees at times. So I like looking at looking at different videos of people planting stuff. And when you see a farmer plant a row of crops, he prepares the land, he tills the land. And once the land is tilled and prepared, he casts the seed. And when that seed starts to sprout, in its time, because it comes in its time, when the seed is planted. Just be reminded of that now. The seed sprouts in its time. After it's received its nutrients, the appropriate amount of water, the appropriate amount of sunlight, but the growth comes from God. But when that first plant comes forth, and you see that it's corn, but you know you're getting corn at your crops, you're not getting something else. Christ is the first fruits. He's the first of what is to come for you and I. Because we ask this question, what does the resurrection mean to you and I? What does it mean? Christ is the first of what is to come. The resurrected life. The resurrected body. The resurrected truth that we see in Jesus is that the day that we go to be with the Lord, we fall asleep. We'll wait until that day of redemption, that day when he makes all things new. What Adam did in the garden, how he messed everything up, but that was God's sovereign plan from the beginning. Jesus wipes that wrong in the garden, and he's going to restore everything back to himself. With a new heaven, a new earth, a new hope. Oh, that we would know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And we would know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Jesus is making all things new. You know what that means? That means no more suffering, no more tears. That means my grandma that passed away believing in the Lord Jesus, one day I'll be reunited with my grandma that I love and I miss. Man, she's the first one that told me about Jesus. I'll be with her one day. Because I know that her hope was not in man, was not in herself, wasn't in religion, but it was upon Jesus. I'll never forget what she told me to the last week of her life. She had like six or five strokes in one week. And I remember her telling me one day, she says, she got her Bible, she had her glasses on, and she says, no matter how many times I pick up this word, and I read, and I go look for Jesus in Scripture, I find it, and it's like I read something new every single time. 
And I remember her telling me that. And I didn't understand it at the time because, man, I was, I was lost in my sins. I was dead in my trespasses. But, man, I remember that to this day. My Walika, man, I love my Walika. I'll be with her one day. And he's no more tears. No more fear. No more shame. No more condemnation. We will be free from the presence of sin. And family, what this means for you and I is that we live with this future hope in mind. Proclaiming Christ till he returns. Fulfilling the great commission of making disciples. The resurrection has everything to do with the follower of Jesus. The resurrection has everything to do with a person that does not know Jesus. It doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Because for the believer, it means we're called. You know what that means? That you're a masterpiece. That you are created with a purpose. You were created for good works in Christ long ago. I love Ephesians 2.10. And that gets my heart going every single time. Hmm. Masterpiece. A masterpiece. That's who we are in Christ. The hope that you have is that Christ lives in you now. Not tomorrow, but the moment that you believe. That future hope in mind. Oh, that we would know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Believe that. To live that. Hmm. Watch this. Look at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. That's Jesus' feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected to put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to him to put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Basically what that saying is this. Jesus was sent on mission by God the Father. Jesus obeyed and submitted to the will of the Father his entire life. God the Father will glorify the Son by putting every single enemy under his feet and that he will be victorious on that day, destroying death. He defeated sin and death, but he will destroy death that day. That future glory is the day that our King, that our King, we will all sing, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God who is conquered. Worthy, worthy is the man of God who prays. Worthy. From everlasting to everlasting, you are Lord. The train of his bow fills his son. And the angels sing, Holy, holy, holy is God. And he would know and see that.
Mm. What it also means is that we see the beautiful unity within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, this relationship working. <coughs> doesn't mean that Jesus is below God, or God is above Jesus. It means that they are equal. They are equal. And that's a beautiful reminder. Because easily when we read this, we can twist it and take it outside of its context. But to be reminded of the beautiful unity that we have in Christ. Look with me if you could to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. First Peter chapter one, verse two. And it should be up there. Let me pull it up right now. Let me read three to five. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. You see that? It was His doing. It wasn't us. What that means? That it's him always doing the work. And he, when he starts a work, guess what? He finishes the work. That's beautiful. Because when we fail, like Peter failed, we got hope. Now watch this. Born again to a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope comes through Jesus being alive from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What does a resurrection mean? And why does it matter? It means that we have a living hope, that we live life in eternity now, that we fulfill the great work that is to be done to make disciples, to proclaim Jesus from the rooftops, to make much of him everywhere, in everyday life. I'm not talking about standing on the street corner proclaiming the gospel, which we've done before. I'm talking about everyday life encountering people where they're at. Not just trying to date and switch somebody into a relationship, but hearing their story, where they've been, the hurt that they've gone through. We don't know people's story, but we, we want to tell them Jesus so quickly. Now, I will say this. There are times that we have to drop a seed and go. But there are times that we see in the book of Acts that we're going to be getting into. They develop these relationships and they produce fruits. They produce over and over again because people are building relationships. To speak gospel into that person's life over a period of time. You're discipling them without even them knowing. That's what's happening. And that's a beautiful thing. But what that means, family, is sharing the gospel 
fulfilling the great work, making much of Jesus. Now we finish shortly with this. And in verse 29, we're almost done. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain with human speaking? I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He's saying, if Jesus is not raised, then what's the point? If Jesus is not raised in your life, what's the point? The hope of glory, the hope that you and I have today is to respond to the gospel call. Repent again. I say, turn away from this world. It holds no hope, but our King of glory offers eternal peace, new life, new hope, restoration, redemption, reconciliation by faith alone. Leaving upon him, turning to him. Don't be fooled that people who teach foolishness is what he's saying. You're going to have people, naysayers, people not going to believe in the resurrection, even though there's all the historical documents that support it. But you know what, though? At the end of the day, you can't change nobody and be reminded of that. You can share truth with somebody. You can build that relationship. But you need to be trusting in the Holy Spirit to do the work. Amen. And the way you do that is by praying for them. There's actually several cards in that back table that has something that says, my top three. You want to see God work? You want to see Holy Spirit power? Pray for them. I'm serious. Pray for them. Pray for yourself as well. Pray Look, look at what Paul says. We're going to skip over real quick. We're almost done. Look at uh, verse 58. What he says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, family. Steadfast in the gospel. Believing what you heard about Jesus, reminding yourself daily of the gospel. That's the transforming power, is the gospel. Remind yourself daily. You know how many times a day I remind myself how sinful I am, but how much God's grace and love, and he doesn't condemn me anymore, overflow my heart with the rejoicing. It leads me to tears because I realize how sinful I am. You don't understand. The more you grow in the Lord, the more you realize how sinful you really are, how selfish, how arrogant. You're selfish, But we remind ourselves of the gospel, the good news. We're reminded that it's not by us, that we can go to Him. And He's already paid for that. 
and he's transforming us every single day. And it's by the power of his word. I finished with the scripture. Y'all don't have to turn to it. I'll read it to you. Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For <coughs> salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. Yes. The uh, salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. <coughs> the night is far gone. The day is at hand. I love this part. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of lights. Just walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual morality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. In closing, how you apply this to your life family is by living a resurrected life. Being reminded that your old self, when you believed in Jesus, has been crucified. And when he was resurrected, you were resurrected. Your life is now in Christ. He is in you. Your life is resurrected to a new hope. Live now with the future in mind. Fill the work that he's called us to do by making much of him, by making disciples. Man is go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's the work we're called to do. Remind ourselves that Jesus is alive. He's alive. Day and every other day after, you will see him one day face to face. And that day when he holds you, he says, Well done, my good and faithful man. Well done, my good and faithful son. She looks at the work of Jesus. He's been given to you by him. That's what we have in Christ. Martin Luther once said, Our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection, not in books alone, but in every day of springtime. Every spring, plants, when they die, come back to life. Every spring, I remind you, draw one with me as you go to bed.